Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. There's a, a one single theme crafted through Daniel, and it's really very simple. It's all about a man who saw some visions, heard from God, and served his master. That's all it is. It's simple. So I just want to very quickly summarise. Chapter 1, what happens? He gets taken captive into Babylon, and he's there with his friends, um, there's three of them, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they're four people that have been brought up under the Jewish law, and they didn't want to eat the food that the king was providing them with. So they took a little bit of time and they went and they saw the chief eunuch and the chief eunuch gave them a trial. So here's a man who had a purpose in his life. He knew his God, he loved his God, but he was also serving the master that he had because he went through the master. He had a purpose. This man... Um, was then provided with wisdom and understanding and promoted because he took a stand based on his beliefs. Now, let's not stick in chronological order. Let's go to chapter 3 because this is the next time when you find that the, these young men are having to make a stand and go, okay, let's do the thing that um, God has called us to do. So the king, Nebuchadnezzar, set up an idol big idol and says everybody's got to worship it and these three young men who are now called Chadrach, Meshach and Abednego was said to him we will not worship your God even though you're going to throw us into a furnace and he, they go oh. he goes well okay I'm going to make the furnace double hot we don't care our God will deliver us and even if he doesn't so what we're going to be with him. I like that. That's pretty good. Let's jump to 6, chapter 6. We're finding the provision of God happening again in Daniel's life. And there was a very, very, very good thing come out of this sermon when it was preached months ago by Pastor Phoebe when she said Daniel did what he always did. The law said... You pray to anything but this idol, you get thrown in the lines then. And Daniel did what he always did, and he prayed. In public, really, in front of his open window where everybody knew he prayed all the time. And he was there, and he was praying, and he got thrown in the lines then, and he was still alive in the morning. This is a very quick highlights reel. One, three, and six. So what does that tell us about God's provision? Well, he provides for the people that are so very nearly um, completely wiped off the face of the earth. They've been taken into captivity. Their, their leaders have been forced to serve. And here's these people, they've been serving and they're still holding on to their belief. Very, very important. So let's go to... Um, that's the provision of God for his servants. One, three, and six. Let's go to the, um, the judgment of God. Chapters four and five. 
two kings. One's the grandson of the other. He's actually an acting regent, Belshazzar, not to be um, um, misinterpreted as Belteshazzar, which is Daniel's um, Babylonian name, but Belshazzar, grandson, acting regent. He's a very not humble man. (laughs) Not humble, very full of pride, and he is... At a party, and they're using the temple gold to drink out of, and the silver and gold, and then they start to praise the gods of silver, gold, and bronze, and wood, and a hand writes on the wall, and it says, kingdoms departed from you, basically, you're done, it's over, and that night he was assassinated. Let's contrast that with his grandfather, we're all over the joint this morning, back in chapter 4, who had a vision of a tree that was beautiful. There was leaves, there was birds and animals and fruit, and it was providing for everybody. And it was chopped down, but the roots were bound up. The stump was bound up. That was like redeemable fruit because it wasn't actually completely slaughtered and ripped out of the ground. The roots were left. And Daniel interpreted, Nebi went crazy and came back. and worshipped the Lord. And I'm not exactly sure how many years he reigned after that, but he reigned. There's a little bit in the Aramaic there where Nebuchadnezzar says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, will bless the Lord. Right? So his was redeemable fruit as opposed to his grandson acting regent while Nebuchadnezzar's son's out fighting the Persians. Belshazzar gets assassinated by the Persians. His fruit wasn't redeemable. He wasn't humble. His pride was judged and he was found wanting. I'm running out of time, Bron. Okay. Dreams, visions and prophecies. Chapter 2 and chapter 7. Now, there is a vision in chapter 1, but we're not going to go there. Um, in chapter 2, there's a statue of gold, silver, bronze, and iron and clay, and was destroyed by a stone. No one knew about it. What did Daniel do? Daniel went and got his team and prayed. So not only is he a man of purpose, he's a man of prayer. And he prays to God, and the vision is revealed to him, and the interpretation is revealed to him, and Nebuchadnezzar, once again, turns back to God. And then, that's the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. And in the first year of Belshazzar is the vision that was so marvellously described to us by Jason that I'm not going to go back into it. But suffice it to say that they were saying there's going to be the Medo-Persians are going to come in and then there's going to be X amount of kings in the Medo-Persian Empire and then the Macedonian or the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great was going to take over and then his four generals were going to split to the four corners of the earth and then the king of the north and the king of the south were going to fight and it goes on and on. But the thing I want to see here is the vision of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Verses 13 and 14, if you've got your Bibles in chapter 7. You see the Ancient of Days seated on the throne in heaven communicating with the Son of Man. 
Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, before before his um, birth. And it's a beautiful picture of how God was communicating and in charge of the situation. And then, from now on, all the way through, Daniel's a man with one vision. He's got tunnel vision. He's absolutely got tunnel vision. He's just looking into the future. Today we'd call him a futurist. (laughs) But he's just looking into the future. And he looks so hard into the future that he sees the end of days. He sees the very end of days where, where everything's made right. And it's such a beautiful vision of what God has in store for us. But it's also a bit scary. But in verse 8, it's the third time Belshazzar gets a vision. It's the same vision, different animals, same vision. Warning, people are coming to get you. Repent and you, and you might get some more time. And it's not long after this second vision is presented to Belshazzar in chapter 8 that he's done. Um, so that's, we're talking now, two different chapters talking about the same thing. Nine, Daniel starts praying and gets a 70 weeks vision. Some people spoke on this very well. I'm not going to. Ten, the third year of Cyrus. So you see here we've got, it looks like Daniel is standing up as a man of God for every king or ruler that comes along and saying to them, hey, this is the word of the Lord. This is the one thing I have seen, but I'm telling it to you in a way that you will understand. And you get Darius in the first year, Daniel prays and confesses for himself and for Israel. Then there's a 70 week prophecy. And in the third year of Cyrus, the vision took 21 days of fasting. Things are getting serious there. When you have to fast and pray for the vision to get through, it's serious and now with four minutes to go we get to Daniel 11 we see in Daniel 11 the same Medo-Persian empire for the first 35 verses of Daniel 11 and it is prophesied in a slightly different way but it's the same So we go, okay, let's turn that over and we'll go to the, um, from the historical, where's the four kings after Alexander the Great, Ptolemy Lagoday goes south and Seleucus I goes north and they develop their kingdoms and then there's big fights between the two of them and eventually out of the north kingdom comes a guy called, now this is how I've been remembering it, Antichinus Epiphones. Which is a little rodent with a big phone out like this. <laughs> Antiochus Epiphanes, who thinks of himself as God, and he sets up an abomination of desolation, and you find all the way through to that period of time, the coming of Christ, there is a great correspondence between prophecy and and that and prophecy and history. And then from 35 on, chapter 35, chapter chapter 11, verse 35, 
or 36, 36, sorry, it becomes eschatological. There's my nerd out word, Jason. <laughs> or end times, or the future. How do I tell you who the king of the north is, who the little horn is, who's the king of the south? I don't know. Those things I cannot tell you. Not going to even try. That is not my job. But what I do know in those first three verses, if we can have them up, please, it says this. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who watches over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time... And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Every one who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Can we have the next? And those who are wise shall shine like brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Here's what I hear out of all this. Daniel's a man who's got a vision for the future, a hunger to know what's coming. And here it tells us that even though it might be hard, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness. Isn't that, isn't that comforting? In the next verse, it says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words. He's saying, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. He's saying, it's a bit complicated. Don't try and confuse yourself. Just shut it up. Don't run to and fro after it. Let other people do that. Okay? And knowledge shall increase. Well, we've been in that time. We know how much knowledge has increased. So he's told Daniel, seal it up. Don't worry about it. Don't run to and fro. Don't panic yourself. But Daniel, Daniel can't get this through his head. He can't get it through his head because almost straight away he says, but what's going to happen? Can you make it clear to me? And you can just, I can just see Michael. Oh. And he says a few things about the three and a half years of the tribulation, which doesn't worry us because we're in Christ. And even if we go with our heads chopped off, we're still going, okay? But he says, go your way. Daniel 12, 13, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and arise to your inheritance at the end of days. He was coming. He's going to be part of that resurrection. Go your way. Relax. 13 seconds to conclude. We are able to conclude that Daniel and his friends were provided for. Chapters 1 through 6. They were blessed by their choice to honour God with their diet and not worshipping other gods and continuing in their daily habit of prayer. We also see how God removes the ungodly. Chapters 4 and 5. And we also see how in the chapters 2 and 7, God's sovereignty over the worldly kingdom is displayed. Nebuchadnezzar and his madness and Belshazzar being cut off. And it's a pattern here. When we live with purpose, you might ask, what is our purpose? Let me, let me summarise it simply. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. Family, friends. 
feels like home. Continue in prayer. Jude 1.20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy, most holy faith, continue in prayer. We can put our hope in that redemptive work of salvation full of faith and what God has said in prophecy, he will finish. So there's the last P in my thing. There's purpose, there's prayer, and the prophecies in our lives and over our lives, even this Daniel prophecy, will come to pass. Now I've got a question for you while we change over. How do we rest and go our way when faced with a lion's den or a fiery furnace's experience? Uh, Well, we're um, finishing off a three-week series on the Holy Spirit um, in both services. Well, last week we kind of combined because of Mother's Day. And uh, we talked about in the first week fire and wind and how the Holy Spirit has been represented as fire and wind throughout um, the Bible. And then last week, the Holy Spirit is a dove, uh, which was felt just really relevant on Mother's Day as well, kind of that nurturing and, um, yeah, sensitive and, and beautiful presence of God. And, uh, and then today we're talking about um, oil and water. The Holy Spirit is represented throughout the Bible also as oil and water. So I'm going to whiz through, um, not, Daryl, you know, gave us so many scriptures. It was so great, Daryl. So I'm not going to go so much to scriptural references. But first of all, I do just want to touch in case you're visiting, in case it's your first time to church and you've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. I just want to let you know that you're in good company because in the Bible, Paul goes to a bunch of people who have decided to follow Jesus, have put their trust in Jesus and they've been following him. And he says, oh, so have you been baptised in the Holy Spirit? And he says, oh, I've, we, they say we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So if that's you this morning, you're in good company. And um, yeah, great. That was someone who's never heard of the Holy Spirit. Excellent. <laughs> Shouldn't have given you the mic, but okay. <laughs> um, okay, so, um, but let me just give you the brief overview. The Holy Spirit is there right at the start um, of the origin story of humanity at creation, hovering over the chaotic watery deep and there with life-giving, energetic and creative potential. That is who the Holy Spirit is. He always wants to come and breathe life and create and um, see new things happen. And so then uh, he continues to do that. He continues to empower people. He's often referred to as the breath or wind of God. And in the Old Testament, settling upon a person for a particular task or job that they need to do, whether it's to create something beautiful. I tell you, I wish that we had the Holy Spirit here sometimes empowering Daz and I when we've got to do anything manual labour to create something beautiful. I feel like the Holy Spirit as the dove kind of just flies away as we work together on that. Um, But he used to empower people for um, certain tasks, but also tasks like leading a nation, tasks like fighting an enemy. And, uh, And so... Um, the Holy Spirit continued to do that. And then the prophets, Daryl just talked about prophecy, the prophets began to speak what the Spirit was saying to them. And this was really exciting. But then one prophet gave this game-changing, life-changing, history-altering prophecy that one day the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And so there was this idea that young, old, male, female, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, that there would be this leveller that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh to all who made themselves available for Him. And so um, that's really exciting, I believe. But let's continue into oil and water. So 
tonight at 5.30, we're going to have an anointing service here in Tamworth. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of why we would do something like that right now. James chapter 5, verse 14 says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going to talk more about oil and more broadly about anointing in a moment, but I just have to, I can't in good conscience not be a pastor in this moment as we look at this scripture. Because... Um, In this book of James, it says our job is to pray and believe. God's job is to heal. Now, in this letter from James, it says that every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights. It also says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter any trouble of any kind, because during this, God is able to make your faith come to perfect completion because you can endure. So here we have that there are troubles that come, but every good thing comes from God. And it says here also, call for the elders and have them pray for you and and the sick will recover. And it also says, when you ask, in this same book, when you ask for things, you guys, you don't get it because you only ask out of your own understanding and for your own quick fix, selfish desires. So there's this tension in this work in the book of James that says that if you're sick, come and ask for prayer. That's your job done. It doesn't say if you feel enamoured with a particular teaching at a certain time, go round to everyone that you think might be sick and pray for them without them ever asking you for prayer. It says if you're sick, call for prayer. And and I just want to say that because uh, it's really important that we allow people space and time to work through what they've got to work through with God. That actually... Um, It's not pastoral of us to us impress upon them whatever teaching we're enamoured with at the moment. If they're sick, we pray if they ask for it, and then it's God's job to heal. I just just say that because it's really important that we love each other and that we um, we don't, God hasn't made us spiritual diagnosis experts for their condition. So let's not give them, let's be respectful and shut our mouths. And if we're deeply troubled, let's go to talk to God about them. And, um, and, let's, and I believe we can accomplish way more with that. So rant over, pastoral rant over. And, but let's remember also that denial of the facts is not faith, that's denial. Acceptance of the facts, understanding of the facts And then believing the truth of God over the facts is faith. So we can do that together and we can work towards that together without any judgment or anything like that. Anyway, back to oil. Okay, so why would James say something like this? Why would James say, call on the elders of the church, anoint them with them oil and pray for them? Why would James say this? Because in the book of Luke, we read that Jesus sent people out. He sent his disciples out and said, go and pray for people. As you've seen me do, I'm now sending you out. And it says in verse 12, that they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. How exciting. I love that. You see, oil was used for dedication. And what used to happen was the people of the day would make graven images out of wood and stone. And they would make these gods, little g, and they would anoint their mouths, their ears, and their heads with oil. And they believed that at that time, that's when the God came and dwelt in the image of that God. And so when Jesus sent people out with oil, because Jesus didn't use oil because he was God, is God. He sent us out in his name to use oil. To, and the signifying thing for them was that they would be restored to the image of God that they were always intended to be. You see, you and I were made in the image of God. I don't know how you feel about yourself. 
but you were made in the image of God. And when we are anointed with oil and prayed for, the idea was and is that you are restored to the image that you're always meant to be. Health, mental state, rejuvenation, life, that that is the idea behind anointing with oil, restored, that's number one. Number two is that you are reserved. Anointing was always done to set something apart. All the utensils in the temple, all the altars, all the furniture and the tabernacle and the temple itself were all anointed with oil. It was set apart and reserved for the use of God. That's what oil did. And when we anoint with oil, it's to signify that you are set apart for God's use. Not only that, it's for, so that you are ready. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes and eat at a, eats at a Pharisee's house. He gets invited to eat at a Pharisee's house. And this woman walks in and all the Bible says about her is that she's a sinner. But she's a sinner that the whole room know about. So in this village where they were, this woman comes in and everyone's like, ugh, that woman. And Jesus accepts her and she comes down to him and she um, puts her, she cries on his feet. She wipes his feet with her hair. She anoints his feet with perfume. And, and this scene is confronting to people in the room. I don't know about you, but if Claire comes down right now, just bawling, takes my shoes off, like takes a moment to recover from that initial act and then starts crying and, and, and drying my feet with, like you're all going to be a bit weirded out, I think. And <laughs> just, just do it, Claire, and just show them. <laughs> um, and not only that, imagine if Claire is like a notorious woman of our town who's a sinner. And, and this is a, a, a righteous, a holy person's place. It would be like being in a church. And there's this woman coming in and she's having this undignified and unreserved display of worship in this room. And Jesus says to Simon, because you see Simon freaking out, Simon, I came in here today and you didn't wash my feet. You know, that's hospitality 101 here. You didn't do that. You didn't anoint my head with oil, hospitality 201. But this woman, she's come and she's done the very thing. And in fact, she's anointing me for what's to come next. The idea was that she's anointed him to make him ready. And he, um, he applauds her for that. Uh, it also says in Psalm 23 verse 5 that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. This is hospitality 101, that you, are, you anoint someone when they come to eat with you. You get them ready. You prepare them for what's coming next. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 17, it says that when you pray and when you fast, get up in the morning, wash your face and anoint your head with oil. Get ready for the day. And so the idea is that there's an anointing that gets you ready. So this oil of anointing gets you ready. Now, the word mess, Messiah comes from the Hebrew Messiah. <laughs> um, sorry, I just love clearing my throat every time I say a Hebrew word. Um, Messiah, and it means um, the anointed one. And so in the Greek, that's Christos or Christ in English, the anointed one. So it's not Jesus Christ, as in Jesus' first name, Christ's last name. That's not his name. And, and then sometimes I get it confused when they call him Christ Jesus. But it's, it's Jesus Christ, Jesus, the anointed one. And then when we began, when the, when the Christian faith, when people who followed the way of Jesus began in the New Testament to be called Christians, it was like little Christs. Little anointed ones. And that's why they, they people meant it as an insult, <laughs> little Christs. And they're like, yes, <laughs> little anointed ones. Thank you. We'll take it. And so in, in, by that, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that came upon them, 
It was that they were reserved and set apart, that they were restored to the image of God that they were always meant to be and they were ready for whatever God had for them to come next. So you might say, well, why would we have an anointing service uh, if that's already happened when we received Christ and the Holy Spirit came to us? Well, it's a bit like baptism. Your sins are already washed away. (laughs) Jesus did that on the cross. But we do that out of obedience and out of a signal of like, Lord, I am here and I want to do your will. And that's why we're having an anointing service this afternoon. You know, you might go, I I don't really think it's necessary. And, um, you know, NCIS is on this afternoon. Um, Dickie wins. It's always the case. I think I'm making a 10-year-old reference. Um, I think NCIS has discontinued and who watches free to air anyway? Good point, Brian. Okay, um, so Netflix is going to be there when you get back at 6.30. We're only going to go for an hour tonight. And so I remember though, like I was a bit like that. Oh, you don't need to do all that kind of thing. You don't need to anoint stuff with oil and whatever else. Lockie used to have these night terrors. Like they were horrific. He would stare through you in the middle of the night. It was like, it was... Awful. He'd wake up screaming and, and he, he would, like, you'd be trying to wake him up and trying to comfort him. And he'd stare straight through you in terror at something else that was there. Like, that's how it felt. Um, apparently, it's a thing. But, um, you know, I got out the oil, man. And, and, and Katie and he were sharing a room and I'm anointing the little fairy stickers on the door because I'm like, I don't know what kind of spiritual atmosphere they were created in. And I'm, like, I'm just desperate. I'm just anointing whatever I can with oil. And so sometimes there's just a moment of desperation of God, I just want to get before you. I want to say my life is yours. I want to be ready for your purpose. I want to be restored to your image and I want to be set apart for your good work, Lord God. And that's the idea behind an anointing service. So... Let's get desperate. Um, Then also, you know, she's washing and anointing with oil. And and there's this idea that Jesus says uh, in, I believe it's, in the Bible, um, and and it's the Feast of Tabernacles is the is the um, context, and in that every day a, a big um, flagon was filled with water, a gold flagon was filled with water and offered to God. It was called the water pouring ceremony. That was on the the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The priest would pour water over the altar that was drawn from the pool of Silo, and um, this, there was this moment. And Jesus stands when this moment is happening. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the Scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, hear that, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. If you read in your NLT Bible, it will say footnote, or let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For the Scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me. And so people say, well, which is it? Is it that it's this like Christological kind of thing that we, you know, Jesus is saying it will flow from my heart, the rivers of living water, or is it saying that it will flow from the believer's heart? And I would say, yes. Exactly. That is exactly right. Both. And, and I love this because I don't know if you've ever seen a champagne tower, but the idea is that we're at the top and we're, we position ourselves under the anointing of God and remain in Him and under the flowing living waters of God. And then from us, flowing from Him to us, through us, in us, out of us, to those around us, the rivers of living waters. Let me read to you from Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Verse 39 of that same New Testament passage, when He said living water, He was speaking of the 
Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in Him. How cool. That is you. That is me. If you put your trust in Jesus. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus today, let me simply tell you this. Every religion, every good thought is that we work our way up to God. Uh, and whether it's through Nirvana or reincarnation or good works or whatever it might be, that we work our way up to God. But the message of the gospel is that we could never reach it, that nobody's perfect. And that in fact, God came down to us and that He said, I will pay the price for everything that you've not been perfect in, that you've sinned in, that's the other word for that. And I will enable you to believe in me, to put your trust in me. And as you do, I'll give you peace between your relationship between me and you. I'll give you the power to live this life through the Holy Spirit. And I'll give you the promise of eternity. And that is simply by putting your trust in Him and saying, Lord, I don't wanna go my own way anymore. I wanna go yours. Those three things are yours. And the power of the Spirit comes to live in you and the rivers of living water bubble up in your heart. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.